0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today.
1: Beautiful song and how well that goes along with what I'm going to preach on today. It's amazing. These girls had no idea what I was going to preach on today. So let's take our Bible turn to a very familiar Passage of scripture, Romans chapter 7. God can take our lives and the failures in our lives and he can bring something very beautiful out of it. He's an amazing God. Romans chapter 7. I've entitled the message this morning, Success Through Failure. How many of you have ever failed in something you've attempted to do? Can I see your hand? Well, we've got a whole church full of failures here today. So this should be an encouragement to you. There's all kinds of different areas of life in which we can fail. The Apostle Paul here talks about spiritual failures. How many of you have ever had some spiritual failures in your life? You look back and say, why did I do that? Why did I not live for the Lord in that situation? Why didn't I do what was right? Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul says, For I know we're in good company when it comes to failures. For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not. What a failure he says he is. But the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For then I, lo- I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he shouts out, "Oh!" wretched man that I am. What a failure I am in my life. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You may remember that Paul said to Timothy, I want you to know, son, I am the chief. What? Of sinners. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word today as we look at this issue of failure and how that through your grace, you can bring success out of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many have ever heard the phrase, failure is the stepping stone to success? I think most of us have heard that, and that's a a good statement. I'm sure we've all heard this one. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Solomon put it this way in the book of Proverbs, chapter 24 and verse 16. Listen, because we'll refer to this verse several times today. For a just man, a good man, a man who wants to do right, just as Paul said, I wanted to do right, but I didn't. For a just man falleth seven times, but riseth up again. Hallelujah. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. In Psalm 37, his father David Said these words, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his ways. Though he fall, do good men stumble and fall? Do good ladies stumble and fall? Do we all fail? Yes. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I am so thankful that when we stumble, fall, and fail, the Lord's there to pick us up. He's learned to love us through and despite the many failures that we have in our lives. All of us, as was indicated by the raising of your hand earlier, all of us are going to experience failure at some point in our lives. However, failure can be very valuable. Amen? Amen. It can be very valuable. Now, none of us like to fail, but failure can be very vulnerable, or excuse me, very valuable learning experience. If it keeps us from repeating the same mistakes over and over again, that is, we need to learn from our failures. Throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon addresses a fool over and over and over again. He talks about the fool and he talks about going through the stage of being a fool and progressing on to being a scorner. But he has a lot to say about a fool. A fool is someone who is so full of pride that they just will not admit when they're wrong and when they have failed. They have a tendency to blame others and not take responsibility for their own personal failures. So the book of Proverbs, Solomon speaking, the wisest man that ever lived under the inspiration of the Spirit of God says a fool is someone who is unwise, that's pretty obvious. A fool is someone who lacks common sense and good judgment. They reject the truth. They scorn the truth. They turn away their ears from the truth because they are wise in their own eyes. They reject godly counsel and advice. They refuse to learn from their own personal failures. He said it this way, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearketh unto counsel is wise. A wise man will hear and will increase in learning, and a man of understanding shall attend unto wise counsel. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. So over and over and over again he addresses the fact that a foolish person will not learn from their mistakes Or from the mistakes of others, but they'll just keep on repeating them, never finding true success in life. What a shame. What a shame. A wise person, however, a humble person, will learn from their mistakes. They won't keep on making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Remember what Paul said, forgetting those things which are all those mistakes that he made? Forgetting those things which are behind. Are you with me? Come on. Reaching what? Forth to the things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That high calling of God is Christ's likeness. So we've all failed not to achieve it, but we put those failures behind us and we move forward. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says this. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Revelation 3:19. Jesus said, "As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten; be zealous therefore and what? Repent." A wise person will recognize their sin, will recognize their personal failures in their lives. When God brings it to their attention, they're not going to excuse it. They're going to accept responsibility for it. They're going to repent of it. But then they're going to what? Move forward learning from the failures that they have just committed. Now, I believe this with all my heart, that determination and failure will lead to success determination and failure will lead to success. If you fail, which you will, but you are determined to learn from your failures, you are going to be successful in life. Give me an amen. Amen. So determination and failure will eventually lead to success if you respond to it correctly. How many have ever heard of Thomas Edison? Only half of you have ever heard of Thomas Edison? The rest of you must be millennials. What was Thomas Edison known for? All right, there you go. The light came on. Remember that commercial, Ford, when the light came on? He is most remembered for the invention of the light bulb. Reportedly, it took him 1,000 tries to finally come up with a working prototype of the light bulb. A reporter once asked him, how did you feel in failing 1,000 times? To which Edison responded, I did not fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. (laughs) Give me an amen. Amen. There's a lot of steps of failure in our lives before we achieve success. So true failure is a result of not getting back up and getting going again and trying again. For a just man falleth seven times, but what? What? Riseth up again. Okay, you all don't have that. A just man falleth what? What? seven times, but what? Riseth up up again. We must expect that failure is going to come in our life. Difficult times are going to come. Sometimes we sow bad seeds. Any of you ever sowed some bad seeds in your life? What we sow, we what? We reap the consequences of those bad seeds that, that we sow. So failure and difficulty is going to come in our lives you know what? God never promised us an easy life. Do you ever find that in the Bible? I know that goes contrary to contemporary mindset today. It's all health, wealth, and prosperity. But God never promised us an easy life. Matter of fact, he said the way to heaven is hard. The way to hell is easy. And many there be that go that way. But the way to heaven is hard. And few there be that find it. God never promised us an easy life. He never promised us a life without problems. He never promised us a life without sorrow. He never promised that once you get saved, you'll never fail again. would not that be nice if that were true? But the Bible says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. If we allow Him to, He will bring us through our failures. Job put it this way, you've heard me say this verse many times, man is born to trouble as what? The sparks fly upwards. And then he went on to say this, man that is born of a woman, how many of you have been born of a woman? (laughs) Today you don't know what's going on out there, do you? man that is born of a woman is a few days we don't live very long in comparison to eternity how quickly life passes us by desiree came up to me or desi came up to me wednesday night i said you're going to be here son she goes i know i'm going back home she said pastor you realize my son is going to graduate in five years I was like there when she was born. This could not be. But life comes and it goes. It's that fast. It is but a vapor that appeared for a little season and then it vanisheth away. Man that is born of woman is a few days and those days, listen, those days Job said are full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower. And is cut down. Well there's real positive thinking right there huh? Listen. It's okay to fail. But it's not okay to let failure defeat you. It's not okay. Get back up. Get moving forward. Reach forth to the things which are before. A just man falleth seven times. But what? Riseth up again. Jeremiah the prophet said this, Moreover thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not rise? Will you fall and not rise? Shall he turn away and not return? Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. See, the prophet couldn't figure it out. Why? Why would you fail and then waller in your failure? Get up! Shake the dust off! Get going again. God has something to teach you from your failure. Don't repeat the same mistakes in your life. Amen. But you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I see people repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I want to wring their neck. Paul said it this way: "We are cast down, but we will not be destroyed. We are cast down, but we will not be destroyed. We are living in a day and age, in a culture. I just, I I cannot believe how things have changed before my very eyes. I, I just, sometimes I can't even wrap my mind around how quickly we have departed from the truth of this book. But it's been in the works for a while, I guess. But our culture no one is allowed to fail anymore or to be called a failure. You can't do that. I was reading this one article. It's kind of a lengthy article. I'll just hit the highlights of it. But it was this mom in New Jersey. New Jersey. She was so upset because her daughter was cut from the cheerleading team. So she goes into the high school and she throws a fit that her daughter did not make the Cheerleading squad. The name of the high school was Hanover Park High School in New Jersey. So the cheerleading coaches had to get together and discuss the thing because mom had thrown a fit. And so the athletic director got involved and they decided to change their policy so now whoever wants to join the cheerleading team can join the cheerleading team. There will be no more tryouts. I tell you something, some of those women you don't want on that cheerleading team. <laughs> that is stupidity. That now everyone can make the cheerleading team. The liberal, leftist, socialist, progressive agenda has taken over most of our educational institutions in America. Competition is no longer encouraged because to engage in competition will cause our children to be aggressive, will cause them to be dominant. And if they do fail, then it's going to wound their self-esteem and their self-worth. No, it used to be a time we educated children. Now we're concerned about the way they feel. So now, everyone has to be a winner. Everyone has to get a ribbon. Everyone has to be rewarded. Everyone has to get a passing grade, so you've got to do the curve. No one is allowed to fail anymore. You know what my Bible says? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. What? Do it with all thy might. You put your whole effort into doing it and being successful. Then there's other parents like myself. What are you laughing at? (laughs) Am I that out of touch with reality? But there's other parents who believe that competition is good. I believe that it's good. I believe it motivates our children to success. And I believe in competition, someone does lose. There are going to be losers. But it prepares our young people for the realities of adult life. Not everyone is a winner. Not everyone gets a ribbon. Not everyone gets rewarded. Sometimes you even get fired. You're fired. Right? That's the real world. So let me give you some. This is my personal observation as I was thinking about this message today. I believe this all is a result of the decline of Christianity in America. I really believe that. The departure from what we're talking about here today. We've removed the Bible. We've removed biblical teaching from our classrooms. And we have now increasingly become a socialistic Yes, snowflake nation. How many have ever heard that phrase, a bunch of snowflakes? Kinda wondered where that came from, so I I looked it up. You know how a snowflake as soon as they hit your finger it'll melt. Oh <laughs> so here's a short little article. It says The snowflake generation. The snowflake generation is a narcissistic term used to characterize young adults of the 2010s as being more prone to taking offense and less resilient than previous generations, or as being too emotionally vulnerable to cope with views that challenge their own or to which they disagree. The term snowflake has also been used to refer to children raised by parents who have given them an inflated sense of their own self-uniqueness. Because these young people have been allowed to have their own way and have never been allowed to fail or have their views challenged, the only way they know how to combat opposing views is to either shut them down or respond to them with violence. We see this in our colleges and universities today? Yes or no? Pretty accurate article here. Poor parenting is a result of pampering children, never holding children accountable for their actions, always agreeing with the child, taking the child's side on an issue, believing that the child would never lie or do anything wrong, never allowing the child to fail, etc. How many remember this? When you got in trouble at school, you did not want to go home and tell mommy and daddy about it. How many remember those days? Because if you went home and told mom and dad that you got in trouble at school, or you had a note, you conveniently lost the note. Why didn't you want to tell mommy and daddy about it? Because another discipline was going to come. Come on, show me your hand. How many remember those days? Those days are gone. You get in trouble in school, you come home and tell mommy and daddy, mommy and daddy are going to go down to the principal or superintendent's office and they're going to throw a fit. It's exactly what they're talking about right here in this little short little article. All of this has resulted in colleges and universities establishing safe places where college students can go when they get easily upset or offended. There they can find a safe space to hug their teddy bears, suck their thumbs, drink hot chocolate, pet a puppy, and find others who will sympathize with them. But this will do nothing to prepare them for the real world. You know what Paul said to Timothy? Suck it up, son. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There's a phrase that I use, and I know some of you, you don't like it. Get over it. (laughs) My daddy told me that, and I've told my children that. There's two things my daddy used to always say. He always used to say, figure it out. You know, that never hurt me to figure it out. Dad, I can't figure it out. Dad, will you figure it out? And then when I could, and when I really, really tried and couldn't figure it out, he'd help me figure it out. But he wanted me to figure it out. The other thing he would say, Dan, just get over it. And then he would do this little, poor little old me pity party. Remember that? the world's smallest record player, playing my heart bleeds for you. My dad was one of those compassionate, loving kind of fathers. (laughs) Can I tell you something? It did me good. David said to Solomon as he was drawing his last breath, He said, Solomon, show thyself to be a man. Alexander Hamilton, how many have ever heard of him? He was an American statesman. He was considered one of our founding fathers here in the United States. He was very influential interpreter and promoter of the U.S. Constitution. He founded the nation's financial system. And he was the first United States Secretary of Treasury. This is what Alexander Hamilton said. Are you with me? We need to listen to our founders. He said, what has made America great? And I'm with our president. Let's make America great again. He said, what has made America great are two principal things. Number one, Christianity. The Christian faith has made America great. So what do we see under attack today? The Christian faith. Why? Because the Christian faith undermines everything that the socialists are trying to accomplish in our country. He said number two is a constitution formed under the principles of Christianity. So these are the two things that have made us great as a nation. Noah Webster, let me know who he is. He's been called the father of American scholarship and education. He was a prolific author. He published numerous newspaper articles in his day and political essays. He wrote several textbooks He served on the Connecticut House of Representatives and founded the Connecticut Society for the Abolition of Slavery in 1791. He was a devoted Christian. He was a lay preacher who would go around the country preaching about the need to Christianize our nation. That was Noah Webster. Of course, we know he gave us our dictionary. And if you have an unabridged Noah Webster's Dictionary, which I have now. Everybody has it on computer, but I had it. It's about that thick. If you drop it on your toe, you're going to lose your toenail. Okay? But in there are theological references over and over and over again, along with Bible verses. This is what he said. In my view, the Christian religion is the most important And one of the first things which all children under a free government ought to be instructed in. No truth is more evident in my mind. This man had a mind. No truth is more evident in my mind than that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. Let it be impressed on your mind, that God commands you to choose for your rulers just men who will rule in the fear of God. Let me tell you, we need to get back to our founding fathers' faith. I'll move on. Sooner or later, every one of us are going to experience failure in our lives. Some small, some large. As I thought about our fellowship here this morning, I began to think about some of you, as some of you have had tremendous success in your life. And I rejoice in that. I rejoice with those that rejoice. I weep with those that weep. Some of you have had tremendous success. You've, as I look at your life, you've had more success than you have failures. Then there's others of you who have not been as successful. You know what? That's okay. We're all one in Christ. And I've often said to you, I preach more from failure than I do from success. I wish I could stand up here and preach a message and say, boy, do I got this one down. But that's not true of me. Some of the greatest people that accomplished the greatest things in life were tremendous failures. Probably the greatest example that I have come across is that of Abraham Lincoln, who was so persistent and so determined, he would not allow failure to keep him down. It's an amazing life story. Lincoln was born in poverty, faced defeat throughout his, his life. He lost eight elections. Twice he failed in business. Once he had a nervous breakdown. He could have he could have quit many times, but he didn't quit. And he became, I hate to almost say this, one of our greatest, let me put it this way, probably our greatest president in the United States. To me, he was a champion. And you know he, you know why he was a champion? because he never quit. He never quit. And so just let me give you a quick sketch of Abraham's Lincoln life. In 1816, his family was forced out of their home because of a land dispute. They lost their home. His father was then able to secure a small little farm, and there he worked supporting the family until He turned 21 years of age. In 1818, when he he had such a close relationship with his mother, his mother passed away. In 1831, he failed in his first business. In 1832, he ran for the state legislature. He lost. In 1832, he was fired from his job. He wanted to go to law school, but they would not accept him. In 1833, he borrowed some money from a friend and began a business, but by the end of the year, he was bankrupt. He spent the next 17 years of his life paying off the debt. In 1834, he ran for the state legislature, and this time he won. In 1835, he was engaged to be married to his sweetheart, but she died and his heart was broken. In 1836, he had a total nervous breakdown and was in bed for six months. In 1838, he sought to become speaker of the House of Legislature, but he was defeated. In 1840, he sought to become an elector. He was defeated. In 1843, he ran for Congress. He was defeated. In 1846, he ran for Congress and this time he won. In 1848, he tried to become re-elected to Congress, but he lost. In 1849, he sought the job of land officer in his home state, but he was rejected. In 1854, he ran for for the Senate of the United States, but he lost. In 1856, he sought the vice president's nomination at his party's national Convention, but he only, he received less than 100 votes. But in 1860, he was elected president of the United States of America. Can I tell you something? That's an incredible story of a man who faced failure. He fell many more times than seven, but he got back up. And got going again. There are so many other examples from history of people who failed but became successful. Did you know that Albert Einstein, he failed math class in high school? Brother Pierce, you got a lot of promising students there. <laughs> Walt Disney, in one of his first jobs, he was fired from the Kansas City Star, and according to the editor, he fired him because he lacked imagination. (laughs) Babe Ruth set the major league record for strikeouts. Struck out five consecutive times in a World Series game. But we don't know Babe Ruth for his strikeouts, do we? This will get you. Michael Jordan failed to make his high school basketball team. (laughs) That blows me away. Bill Gates... Suffered failure in his first business endeavor, but he went on to be the founder of Microsoft and today is considered one of the wealthiest men in the world and he attributes the success of Microsoft to his failure in his first business adventure. Henry Ford, founder of Ford Motor Company, one of the most successful automotive companies of all time. But what most people don't understand is that Ford failed twice went in bankruptcy try, twice trying to get his car company up and running. Lucille Ball, how many like I Love Lucy? Oh, come on, I'm going <laughs> to alter call right now. <laughs> Some of these young people are looking at me like, who is I Love Lucy? Lucille Ball, before starring in I Love Lucy, she was regarded as a failed actress in Hollywood. She decided that she would take some drama classes to try to boost her uh, acting skills. And her drama instructors said, we don't feel that you'll ever make it you should try another profession. You know, when I read that I remember president of Grand Rapids Baptist Bible College telling me the same thing. You'll never make it as a preacher, you should find another profession. And so I asked him what I should try and he said, you know, working with your hands like a garbage collector or something like that I kid you not I thank God for garbage collectors (laughs) but Ludwig von Beethoven despite his love for composing his teachers felt it was hopeless And that he would never succeed in learning how to play the violin or composing music. But Beethoven kept plugging along. He composed some of the best loved symphonies of all times. And listen to this. Five of his symphonies he composed when he was totally deaf. Amazing. Amazing. not only do we have examples from history, we have many Bible examples too. How about Abraham? God promised Abraham that God would give him a son through Sarah. He was 75 years old when God made that promise to him. A hundred years of age, God had not blessed them yet with a child. And so they take matters into their own hands. They take They take Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, and they have a child by her. I tell you something, tremendous mistake, tremendous failure. We are still reaping the consequences of that horrendous failure today. Today, there are 196 Islamic terror organizations in the world, ISIS, Hezbollah, Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, the Islamic Army, Hamas, and I could go on and on, that have resulted in the death of untold numbers of people. None of that would have existed if Abraham would not have made this terrible, terrible mistake. But he did. But Aren't you thankful for the butts? But Abraham became known as the father of faith, a faithful man, and I quote, "Who staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God." What an amazing thing that God could take a man like that and totally change him from his failures. I can't imagine how Abraham regretted the decision that he had made. Moses he was a murderer, he was a fugitive and yet God used him to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. King David committed adultery had the woman's husband killed but became a man after God's own heart. Peter denied the Lord three times but after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, he became the leader of the 12 and opened the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. Thank God for that. Saul was a persecutor of the early church, consented to the murder of many of Jesus' followers, but after meeting Jesus on the road, to Damascus. He became the greatest missionary, evangelist, theologian, and church planter that the world has ever known. Jesus. Multitudes followed him, and multitudes forsook him. Hanging on the cross, he had one disciple who stood at the foot of the cross, Many would consider the life and ministry of Jesus a complete failure. But hallelujah, he's a risen savior. Amen. Failure is something we are all going to experience. It doesn't discriminate by wealth, by our status, by our education, or our influence. We will have vocational failures. We'll have relational failures. It breaks my heart whenever there's a relational failure. We will have physical failures, thorns in the fleshes. Thorns in the fleshes? (laughs) Guess I'm preaching on failure today. There will be spiritual failures. Paul said to Galatians, you were running so well. What hindered you? What tripped you up? What caused you to fall? All these things happen in our lives. We can... Feel like quitting and giving up. Church family, don't ever quit. Don't give up. Give me an amen. Amen. Wow, I have so much more here. Any of you ever heard of IBM? Tom Watson, who was the founder of IBM, guided the company for 40 years. One of the most impressive moments of his leadership occurred when a junior executive lost $10 million in a risky venture for the company. Watson called him into the office. You can imagine how nervous that young man was when he walked into his office. And the young man stood before his desk as Watson looked at him and he he blurted out, I guess you want my resignation. To which Watson replied, young man, you can't be serious. We just spent $10 million trying to educate you. (laughs) Mistakes can be our greatest teachers. Valuable lessons will be learned if you allow them to. You know how hard it it is for me to skip some stuff that I think is so good. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to read this. Bear with me. I read this little article. George Frederick Handel. In the early 1700s, Handel literally held the world in his hands as the greatest writer and composer of his day. But in 1740, things went sour for him, and within two years, he was penniless and was a beggar. He was struck with the palsy in one leg and wandered the streets of London, a pathetic sight for all to see. One day, a well-known writer came to him and laid a manuscript before him and said, I believe music ought to be written to these words. Handel's first response was, He didn't want to do it. He had experienced enough failure in his life. He was not going to try anymore. But when he read the manuscript, he was moved by one passage. He is despised and rejected of men. Look for one to have pity on him, but there was none. Neither found he any comfort in them. These words spoke to the heart of Handel. And he continued to read until he came to these words, I know that my Redeemer liveth. For the next 21 days with almost no sleep, he composed the music to go along with these words. In his diary he wrote, I think I see heaven before me and a great God standing and watching over me. When finished, it was performed at the London Symphony Hall and King George II heard for the first time the peace that we know today as the Messiah. By the time the Hallelujah Chorus broke out, King George rose to his feet, as did everyone else in the concert hall. And that's where the tradition of the Hallelujah Chorus began, a man who had become penniless And despised, had just written the greatest musical piece of all times. Don't waste your failures.
0: Let's pray.